When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations, like getting complaints because someone on the team always smells horrible. You better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Bambi's U.S.-based personnel are dedicated to your business, giving you access to the HR expertise and personal touch you need. HR managers can easily cost $80,000 per year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com slash C-Suite right now. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash C-Suite. Bambi.com slash C-Suite. Welcome to the Family Brain with your host, Megan Gibson. The well-being of one person in a family affects the whole family system. This is a supportive community to share research, resources, stories, tips, and life hacks to keep the family brain healthy. Thanks for listening to The Family Brain. Today, I'll be talking with Taylor Nichols. Taylor Nichols is a new friend of mine here in my new city of Austin, and she just started her own podcast called Speak Life with Taylor Nichols, and it's super fun to listen to. So if you get a chance, check it out on iTunes. She has a great story of her own, and I hope you enjoy listening to everything she has to share. She is one of those people that I just love because she's not afraid to talk about the messier side of things, of life, of faith, of feelings and family and all of that good stuff. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, hi, Taylor. Hi, girl. So we have to be fully transparent here and let everybody know we already did a recorded conversation of us. So this is going to be like the well, next I level. Why we're going to tell them why we're doing a second one. Okay. Yeah, because I invited you over to my house to record <laughs> on my equipment because I was like, it's all set up and I'll just press the button and it'll work. And I pressed the button and it didn't work. And you were graciously waiting for the 20 minutes while I re-figured everything out, called my husband and did all that. And then we got it to work, and we had an amazing conversation. And at the end of it, I looked down to see that it had not recorded but 10 minutes of our conversation before it shut off. Well, you know what's so funny, too, is at the end of the conversation, you go, friend. And I thought you were just saying friend, just like, what a great conversation. (laughs) I didn't really know the the sense of it, because I probably would have cursed. But instead, you said friend, which is just a lovely way to handle it. I thought that was very well done. Right. But that's okay. I mean, you kind of got to take that step and just sort of put yourself out there. I also love that like 80% of what we talked about in our conversation was how in Greece specifically, you learn that you think you have control and at the end of it, you don't have control. And I'm going on and on about how true that lesson is for me. And then I just got to live it out in front of you. Yes. And you handled it very, very graciously. So I think that 
your the the things you're saying out of your mouth are resonating in your brain. I think. Oh, good, good. So tell me. Yes. Um, So one of the things that's super exciting about what you have going on is you just launched your own podcast. Can you talk a little bit about what that is all about? And so people can check it out. Yes, I uh, just launched a podcast today. It's my second episode aired today, um, and it is called Speak Live with Taylor Nichols, and it is a platform for conversations with um, real real people telling real stories about their real life, um, and I just believe that there is a margin, or the margin that I'm called to create space for, is for conversations about everyday living where people may um, see things differently from one another or do things differently from one another. For us to just kind of open up the door to what it looks like in someone's real life and for the listener to have a space to kind of set aside maybe biases they have or fears that they have or um, ways that they may have objectified people that are different and just kind of hold space for a conversation and see if in listening to a different story that there is some kind of tying of just the humanity that makes us all what we are, um, that creates a little bit of softening and compassion, um, where we can better understand one another's stories and lives. I love that. Well, and I think one of the things you and I had talked about was just how, as we get older, we sort of start to be able to be more honest with ourselves about what is real and what is really going on with us. And I think that that's a gift that you're offering to other people. And that's what I'm aspiring to do also through this podcast of just saying, it's okay that it's not perfect. Like, in fact, that is a hundred percent normal. And if it were a hundred percent perfect, that would mean something was a little suspect, you know, and, and just hearing other people tell their stories bravely, I think gives other people the courage to do it themselves, if that makes sense. I think it's important that we do that, and I think especially in today's kind of age of social media where you have time to present what what you want the world to see. Um, You know, I kind of think about it like in my parents' generation, it was like before you got out of the car at Mm. someone's house, it was like, I am expecting you guys to be obedient and respectful, and, you know, like we may have all just totally yelled at one another in the car, but when we get out of this door, you put your best foot forward, which I don't think there is a problem with encouraging our kids to put their best foot forward. Right. But I think one of the things that came from that, or, or for me, is kind of this idea of don't present yourself unless you have it all together, or present the parts of yourself that you can show as having it all together. And I think there is a, a, a big space of loneliness. Um where people are thinking, man, I, I look on Instagram or I, or I sit in on a 15-minute conversation with the mom at school and I hear about the art project they did or I hear about the date night that they went on or I see the trip that they went on or I see how well their work is pulled together. And for me, I feel tattered and worn and like I'm barely holding on. And, and it kind of pushes you out or makes you feel lonely. And I just think that if we have the courage to share the parts of our story that are maybe what we interpret as a little bit weaker or um, vulnerable, that that is really where the strength lies. I love That's that. That's where you know one another. Yeah. Well, and I think, uh, so one of the pieces of your story, you have so many, 
I feel like I was thinking about what would I call this episode with you? But there's so many topics. I mean, it's just like Taylor Nichols, like, and just, there's a lot of fit area to cover. But one of the things that's going on with you is that you have two babies right now. Yes, Can you talk I a little do. bit about that? Yeah, our family is made up of four, four kiddos, um, my husband, David, and myself. And uh, until November of 2017, we were a family of four. Um, our boys were five and seven. And, and what grades are your kids in? My son was asking, and I wasn't sure. Kindergarten, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, let me see if you remember. Right. Um, we have a kindergartner and a second grade. Both okay. of my boys are late summer birthdays, so they're both old for their, for their uh, grade. Yeah, my son's the same in third grade. He's like an old, old soul yeah, in fourth, third grade. It's for our family, yeah. that, that decision. Um, but yeah, I when my husband and I went on our very first date, um, we were friends. And so when we went on our date, it was kind of like, get real real fast and I don't think we had ordered drinks yet and I basically said like I'm, I'm adopting at some point in my life and if you're not down with that that's cool but like let me know now so I can figure out what I can afford to eat mm. um and we you know Dave's like well could we maybe order drinks first and, and kind of <laughs> that conversation yeah which is pretty fitting for our whole life um to this point but I went all or none, and Dave's like, well, let's just pace today. Like, yeah. Let's see what today he has to offer. And so that was, we've been married 15 years this May, um, and so that conversation happened a little over 17 years ago. And over just our marriage, the conversation around adoption kept coming up, and was it time, and were we both on the same page at the same time? We both felt called or that tugging at different different seasons in our life. Um, and then in October of 2017, um, right? Well, I had two babies in a year, so I've got to figure this out. October of 2017, we, November of 16, we decided to start the process of adoption. October of 17, we finished our paperwork. November of 17, I turned our paperwork in um, on a Wednesday, and I got a call on Thursday morning at 9.30 that there was a baby girl um, that was looking for a forever family. And we, she was home um, in our arms in our home in Austin, Texas, before she was 60 hours old. That's very, I mean, in a lot of ways, that's very fortunate, right? I've walked with people who have gone through the adoption process, and it's it's not super typical for that to happen no. so quickly, right? I don't, you know, this is referred to as a stork drop oh. in an adoption <laughs> community where it, it is just, there is normally a really long process. And when I turned that paperwork in, I really thought, you know, we're looking two or three years down the road. Yeah, and maybe some and really disappointing days in between, like yeah, just close calls or... We, you know, our adoption journey had been 17 years, 15 years in the making. So there have been a lot of conversation. And I think one of the things that we had really come to was like, maybe this road is just about us walking with birth parents that ultimately decide that they're able to parent, which is the first story, which is what we would want. Um, and I've got to be real honest to say that I don't think I walked into adoption with that understanding because I didn't understand all of it. But as we educated ourselves, we attended an adoption conference here in Austin. It was really helpful for us. Um, we attended that for four years. And then it just, you know, we started out thinking international adoption. And then our heart got really pulled for domestic adoption because of a desire to have an open adoption, which meant we would be walking closely with birth parents. And in that, your heart really 
for us, it really turned towards reunification. And, you know, if, if the road of us walking with a birth mom was only to help her realize that she was capable of parenting, then we were in for that story. And so I, we were really at that point when we turned our paperwork in. So to get a call less than 24 hours later and say that there is a baby would our family, you know, would our family consider becoming her forever family? I, there was so much transition because I think there had been like a lot of letting go um, and a lot of saying like, okay, whatever this road looks like, we're in. But I never, ever dreamed that it would look the way that it looked. Um, and I still don't really understand. You know, I know people who started the process before us and are still waiting. And I have to believe um I, I have a faith that I believe that there is a reason that we were chosen for Emerson and Emerson was chosen to be with us. And we are, we are a second story. And I believe that second stories in the redemption of those stories, in the healing of that, in the coming together, and then really openly looking at what's broken about this and how do we love one another through that brokenness is where healing and uh, just real living comes from I think so that was November and you know it's like two weeks before Thanksgiving so we have Thanksgiving we were we were videoing an adoption video um for for her because I wanted her to have her or him or whoever I didn't know twins boy girl zero three um I wanted them to have a peek into our family before they came I wanted them to know what what was happening in our life before they got here and why we were seeking them out and so we had been recording that story and we had a recording set up to do with family and friends on thanksgiving um just to kind of for our family to share what the journey was looking like for them in preparation for um, a child coming into our lives through adoption and none of us dreamed that she would actually be there for that so thanksgiving happens christmas happens uh January, our kids were out of school for a really long time, and then in February, I just didn't feel right. Um, and my girlfriend, I was at her house, and I'm like, I think mean, something is wrong with me. My back is really bothering me. And she was, she was like, do you think you're pregnant? And I was like, no, 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 for sure not. And I was pregnant. And um, <laughs> it was a big, big shock, um, the sweetest, most precious baby girl that is now five months old um, was handed to us. So we had a baby in November of, of 17, and then October of 18, we had another little girl. Um, and we are now a family of six. Incredible. And I guess the reason I thought to ask you that question about your family growing is just talking about that transparency and showing the parts that aren't perfect. And just, I think that becoming an, a new mom for the first time be, and each subsequent child changes your family and really shakes things up, you know, and makes things a little messy. I was listening to this podcast this morning about, um, the ways that babies change, um, marriage dynamics and it just was making me think back on, you know, when we had our first child and then our second child and that and just the different stages of life we were in. And I mean, that's a big deal to have two babies at the same time, you know, yeah, it, 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 it's I don't funny. need to tell you that, I guess. Right. Well, no, but I mean, <laughs> if I think of myself as a mom, you know, I've 
shared this with a couple friends recently. I spent 2018 um, from February through October battling. I had what I would call a hormonal depression um, that set in pretty quickly into my first trimester. And my life had been radically turned upside down, you know, just three months prior. And I had gone from, you know, having kids that could feed themselves pretty much, jump in the shower by themselves, were both in school all day, to overnight having somebody that was dependent on me for every single thing, which I had done before, but it happened really quickly. Uh, and change is not my most gracious space. Mm, so I was as happy and amazing as it was, there was a lot of work in me that was going on. Um, and then I got pregnant. I was very, very sick for the first three months. And so a lot of mornings I would just, you know, put the boys on the bus, kind of stumbling out to the bus, um, feeling weak and tired and lonely and just confused and feeling really thankful and excited about our baby, but also massively overwhelmed. Like, I'm not going to be able to survive is really the voice that I was battling. Um, I'm barely making it now. I only have one baby to care for, and, and I'm not going to be able to do this. And so I spent a lot of 2018 just in that space feeling guilty because I had, you know, we had, because Emerson had come home so easily and so quickly, and here I was sick and barely able to, like, we snuggled a lot. We did a lot of hunting. Which might have been all she needed at that point, but it's hard. I I know the pressures. I think that it was. I think, you know, in retrospect, I can see how it was a slowdown for me. It it stopped me and it made me just be not doing, not performing, not giving, but just being with her. That was the only thing I had to give her. I could just lay with her and love her and hold her. and I think that that's a gift I will forever treasure. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the moment, I thought I'm the worst. Right. And then whenever uh, whenever London was placed on my chest after she came out, I thought there was just a very acute moment for me where I was like, oh, she's been here all along. I just didn't know. Mm. Like, it was an opening of my eyes to what was meant to be for our family, to what I had capacity for, to... Um, all of those things that I think, you know, like as funny as it is, I mean, just before getting on this call, I ran downstairs, I pumped, I gave her a kiss. Um, I know you were like, I'll, I'll be ready in five minutes. I'm like, I'm going to give you a few more minutes. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, just trying to balance all the things, but I don't, there's grace in this season and it's funny. It's hilarious. I mean, I call you over to record and it doesn't work. Um, I'm learning a lot about that in this season of where where my capacity lies and where my humility is, and also that none of the things that I I think I'm learning more about my value of who I am as a human. Mm-hmm. And I think that what I've learned in this podcasting journey and just life in general is that that wasn't like, so the episode that we recorded that didn't record, that's not the episode that was meant to be out in the world. You know what I mean? Like this, there's something that's happening right now that someone's going to hear that they need to hear. And I think that as long as you can hold on to that and not the part of like, oh, it didn't record. It just kind of changes the way you think about things that happen, you know? Yeah. Um, That's what a child has done for me. And grief started that process for me, which is really where the birth of the 
podcast for me came from is that like people need to hear stories about the hard parts of life so they can have a better understanding of how perspectives shift and how you grow and how you evolve um of what things shape you so what so I, I want to hear more about your the way grief has prompted you to do all of this but i'm just kind of curious thinking back to the way you were talking about 2018 and thinking there might, there most likely is someone listening to this that is feeling that way, just like kind of in a ditch, like, eh, I just can't get out of this rut. What, what do you think got you out of that rut? Was it just not being pregnant anymore or what, what changed your I way think of thinking about it? sure an element. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Pregnancy is not something, my first pregnancy is like the happiest, most blissful memories of my life. I found out three weeks to the day after my dad died in a tragic accident that I was pregnant with my second child. And I spent most of that pregnancy on a couch, mm. um, getting up to go puke in a trash can. Um, and you know, at like 28 weeks, I, I would say, are his lungs done? Or, or, it, like, is he, is he, can he survive on his own? Mm-hmm. And you know, my husband at one point was like, if you're really scaring me when you say that. Yeah. And I was like, you should be, cause I'm very serious. Like, I am ready to be out of this season. And I think that's a theme in my life. Um, I want to get past the hard and to the good. But what I can look back on each one of those seasons now and see is that there was something from that that I needed. I had to go through the low to experience the high. And so for me, 2018, um, I think I knew that. I knew that in the back of my mind. I also really battled why I couldn't accept that in the moment. Like, there's a purpose in this. You're growing through this. Um, there's meaning in this. But I would say just knowing that sticking it out, um, that this moment is not, you know, it's kind of the dichotomy of living in what I believe very much is that living each day as though this is the day you're given and you don't know if tomorrow is coming or not. So make decisions that align with who you want to be remembered as, who you are becoming, um, all of those things. And also not being short-sighted to say, like, this moment defines everything. So giving yourself grace in that. And I'm learning how to hold both of those. Right. Um, and I, for me, I think, you know, a fourth child has kind of forced me to that. No, that because makes I, I sense. Want control, I, want, I want control. I want control. Um, I want things to look good, feel good, do good. And with four kids, there's a lot of human personalities in there that have different needs at different times. And I'm only one person. My husband's only one person. And so we have to create a lot of margin for grace um, on things not looking how we expect it. Love that. And I think that's a good message for all of us, right? I, I feel like I had that with just kids in general. And the more children, the more I felt this. But just like things aren't going to be the way I expect them to be. The house isn't always going to be orderly and people aren't going to always. I mean, and now it seems laughable. But back then, that's what I thought it was going to be like. I would read the right books and then I would tell people things and they would do what I wanted. Like, that's what I basically thought I was signing up for. And, that's uh, kind of what we teach our kids in high school, right? Yeah, yeah. Make all these, make these grades, get into this school, get this career path, get this job, and then you'll be happy. Equal success and happiness, yeah. yeah. So I know you mentioned um, your father's accident and death. What? When did that happen? What, what was the year that that happened in? 
That was in September of 2011. 2011, okay. So can you walk us through sort of what happened in that? And I just want to tell you, so I was watching, and I don't know if your Insta stories or your Instagram account is part of your podcast or if it's just a personal one. Um, but is it linked? Okay. But I love the thing you posted the other day about just the idea that grief doesn't just disappear. It stays with you. And it was a really raw moment, but you really spoke to how you sort of ride that wave and what a gift to give other people, you know, like in that moment of your own suffering to think, you know what, somebody else might, might feel identified with this and this might help somebody else get through their wave. I loved it. It was beautiful. Like gave me chills. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. So my father passed away um, in an accident where uh, a piece of metal flew off of um, some, a piece of metal flew off, hit a building, and then ricocheted back and hit my dad in the forehead. Um, and it was just the most freak accident ever. It it, it just was. Um, and he he was sixty seven years old, and he was very much alive. You know the day before and very much gone um, the next day and um, my my 19 year old brother at the time was with my dad when he passed away um, and he called uh, I talked to him on the phone as my dad was in the ambulance being taken to the hospital and I remember in that moment thinking going into fix it mode you know like uh, I never ever thought he, he could be gone and I just went into fix-it mode. He was in another state at the time. Uh, and I it was like, how to get my mom there? How to walk my brother through? You know, like, it's my baby brother. He doesn't walk things. And so, like, telling him all, like, dad's birthday and checking him in, everything. Um, and getting my mom there and trying to book a flight. And uh, just all of the things. It was nap time. My son was napping, and my husband was at, uh, my husband was at a meeting, and he's an engineer, pretty type A. Um, normally, if I call him and I know that he's in a meeting, he'll just you know send a text message. But he said I, he he saw me call and he got up out of his meeting and answered the call, which was very unlike him. And uh, I said, you know, my dad's been in an accident at the time. It was an airbag detonator. Um, that had exploded, and so, not in the car, but I thought that it was a car accident, mm-hmm. and so I was like, my dad suffered a massive head injury from a car accident, and my husband said he walked back in the meeting and was like, I need to go home, and he said there was not one thing that I said that made him think that my dad wasn't going to live, but he just felt that he needed to be there, and mm-hmm. so he walked into the house um, less than a minute after or before, less than a minute before the doctor came in and we were on speakerphone and uh, he said the words that changed my life forever. And he said, you know, your father, your father, he's talking about my brother, your father suffered a massive head injury, um, which I, I'm like, I know, I know. What are you going to do? Fix it? Is he on ice? Like, when are we doing surgery? All of, like, in a millisecond, all those thoughts come through. And he said, we've done everything that we can, um, but we were unable to resuscitate him. And in that moment, I just thought, rewind, go back, do your job. Um, and, you know, I, I'll never, that moment of coming 
out of my body uh, to think I can't there you can't physically encompass pain in that way and so I think there's like like a for me it was like a like my 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 spirit was trying to leave my physical body almost mm-hmm. like it was like I just I had I had to get away from it and uh, my husband walked through the door about that time and uh, that so that was a shift for me in my life everything changed in that moment um, and that week of my life was uh, it, my dad we had to go and get my dad's body and there's so many details in that that I could share that are just so um, special and cherished one of the things I think about grief and I believe strongly and I will encourage anybody in this but the the week between my dad passing away and us burying him in Texas um, there was just necessity to us going to get his body coming back to the states or not the states but coming back to ours to Texas planning a funeral having a funeral and there was a week's time between his death and that and that week will forever be one of the most cherished um weeks of my life because people were asking about him and saying his name and talking about him and um we've shared stories and one of the things that you probably can relate to just with your you know journey with your friend and grief is that once someone is buried or a funeral has been has taken place there's almost this I don't want to bring it up because I I don't want to make you sad and the reality with grief is that someone bringing it up or not bringing it up is not what makes you sad in fact not bringing it up kind of makes you more sad because you live with um, the absence of them forever Mm -hmm. and the, the less that their name is said the more gone that they are right and so for you, they're very much alive. And um, that has been my journey in, in grief. You know, I felt like, I think at the time, I thought, you've got to grieve right now mm. because your dad died. But what I didn't know is that I would grieve him for the rest of my life. Yeah. And that's what I shared the other day is that we had had a baseball game Saturday, a baseball game Sunday, and a baseball game last night. And uh, one of the beautiful things about baseball and sports and children is that it's a space where grandparents and uncles and aunts are invited to come and cheer your children on and you sit next to one another and you talk and you watch this thing that shares both of your blood um, experience life in a new way and challenge their body and learn to be a teammate and face trial or face disappointment or experience great joy and great accomplishment and you get to watch that if you're lucky next to somebody who watched you do the same thing and for my husband and I both uh, that that died with both of our, our dads from a paternal grandparent um, standpoint uh, we, I had both have our mothers still living and we're so grateful you know for the experience but there is a grief in
kind of sitting there asking to engage it, and I thought I'm busy and parenting, so I moved to another space, and then somebody sat down in front of us, and then their parents showed up and sat down next to them, Mm -hmm. and I just thought, everywhere I go, it's right there looking at me, and so it was uh, me coming home and being willing to sit with that pain a little bit, and just put on some sad country music, Mm -hmm. and and mourn, and mourn what I meant what I, a dream that died today, or that day, because I had never been in a baseball game watching my kids play until this weekend, and so that dream, I didn't know existed until this weekend, now mm-hmm. it's happened at their football game, it's happened watching them water ski, but it was in just a different space of it. Right, no, it's, I think that's the thing that I've learned about grief, is that it, it, in welcoming it in, like, that's what I think I loved about your, you know, PSA about grief is that, you know, to welcome it in and to say, I I have this going on right now. I'm going to put on country music, which makes you cry a little more, you know, so you can just like welcome it in. I think that that's, that's the um, misunderstanding that I think I had in my own mind is how do I get rid of this grief? And I think welcoming it and saying, Oh, here, here it comes. And how beautiful that's how much you loved your father, you know, that that is how much, how sad it is for you. And I see that, I see that as, you know, the deeper I feel, now I've had people be like, I do not agree with that, but I just see the pain as an opportunity to remember how deep the love Mm -hmm. was. And so to sit with that for a minute and be like, I remember, Mm -hmm. I remember and I miss it, and it's okay to remember, and it's okay to miss it, and I'm still going to wake up tomorrow, and I'm going to put my boys in their baseball uniforms, and we're going to go back out to that game, and we're going to cheer again, and I may remember again on a different day, but to create space to just remember when it comes, um, the cycles. Yeah, and I think that that, it doesn't have to be excitement. It doesn't have to be like, woohoo, here we go again, you know, but it can be just like, oh, here, a noticing, a noticing and creating room for those feelings. Sometimes the noticing is anger, right? Mm -hmm. That's what, yeah. Sometimes it's anger. I mean, on the day that I'm like chasing my my baby that's now started walking and trying to nurse the other one, and somebody shows up with a cooler full of drinks and snacks that's a grandparent, I'm a little bit like, God blast it. Mm hmm. Hopefully this doesn't sound um, insensitive to you, but I was just thinking about people who might be listening who have had the grief of, um, you know, the parents, they, they wish they had, you know, like that there's, that there are a lot of grandparents who are not as connected to their children, that there's a grief in that too, um, that I think a lot of people don't talk about. Yeah. We have that with, um, you know, my, my dear mother in law who I love dearly uh, grief hit her in a way that really changed her capacity to be a grandparent Mm -hmm. um, and be as engaged in our family as she was before and it's I would venture to say that grieving that relationship has almost been harder or that grandparent in a way has almost been harder than than grieving my father and my husband's father who died about 20 months after my dad Mm -hmm. yeah it makes sense because they're there and you kind of wish you could just like flip the switch to yeah. have it be back can on track. You, can you be the dream that I have? Right. 
Yeah. And this is the other thing that I think with grief that I had in my mind, because I, you know, I like to read the books and then be the expert, <laughs> which I've over time realized is just laughable. But um, uh, just learning about. I'm still going to lean into you for some experts. Okay. I mean, I can play along and tell you the things that people have told me. Yeah, but expert, I always put expert in quotes. Everybody's a work in progress. Even the the expert that has the PhD from MIT. They're still figuring it out. They're not, it's not the end of the road. If it was, nobody would have to try anymore. Um, But just that whole stages of grief of like, and I don't even remember at this point because I think it's kind of laughable. Like it's like um, denial, anger, you know, sadness, acceptance. And like, you're gonna, and I had in my mind that that's the path you walk through. Step one. Okay, well, when do I get to check that box? And then, I mean, right? But that's how I kind of wanted life to be. Like that sounds much more um, manageable and sort of palpable than, it being more of a blender situation, mm-hmm, um, but mm-hmm. blender, blender it is. Yes. My mom was telling me about going to a widow's group um, and they like walked you through the, the stages of grief. I'm laughing, funny, not funny, but, but she was, you know, really excited to connect with other women. When you, when you share a story you don't want to share with other people, there's a beauty in that relationship that you're a part of a club you don't want to be a part of, you know? Yes. But yet you need that community and you need to feel seen and understood. Um, and so like just that desire to go be with other women who had lost their spouses. Um, and, you know, for my mom, that was 35 years in a marriage. But for some women there, it was two or seven or um, 50. And that they handed this pamphlet out and we're going to like kind of like read through the stages of grief. And she was like, I just wanted to kind of throw it at them. Mm-hmm. Like, can't we be past this? Like, can't we just acknowledge that it's not pretty and it it is it, it is a blender? Um, and I, I one of our, a counselor that has been so helpful for us shared with my husband and I. You know, grief is linear, and in the beginning, it's kind of like a big snowball, and the snowball just keeps rolling on top of itself, and so there's never breathing space between it. It just is another snowball on top of the top. But that over time, the hope is that those and, and he's like, and there's no time limit to this, right? It's different for everyone, but kind of that um, the cycle doesn't end, but that they maybe get further apart because the grief ball gets a little bit smaller. Um, and that for me has been a real, a real helpful representation of when I hit a cycle instead of going into the like, you know, I for me thinking of grief kind of like as a roaring uh, like tidal wave or ocean waves hitting, that when, when the tide's coming in, they keep coming faster and faster and faster. And you, for me, how I don't handle change well, I'm like, I, I'm not going to be able to breathe. I'm not going to be able to breathe. I, I can't survive. I'm not going to be able to breathe. Um, but then realizing that, you know, the tide is going to roll back out again. Yeah. And then it's going to come back, and it's going to come fast, and right. it's going to come consistent, and I'm going to be out of breath, and the water's going to keep going down my throat but then it's going to go out again. And I've learned to trust that cycle in a lot of spaces. And last year, that cycle looked like me learning to trust that in being overwhelmed. No, I think that's a beautiful way to describe it. And I think that it's hard to say that to someone else who hasn't felt that, you know, like to tell someone who's going through that kind of grief for the first time, it will, it will get better with time. And I, what I've heard from people is like, yeah, that's what everybody keeps saying. And I'm like, you know, it's, it's, and it, in general, it's true. I'm not going to say 100%. I don't know. But I think that in most cases, 
it does have that, um, it, it's not, it's not continually like a tsunami. Yes. And you know, somebody said something to me, we were looking for a grave site, um, and she had buried a son and, uh, she is the most gracious woman. And she said, when people say to you, you will get through this instead of punching them in the face, Mm -hmm. I just want you to think I'm not ever going to get through it. I'm going to learn to live with it. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's been really powerful. Um, I don't want to get through the loss of my dad. I want to learn to live with what I learned in losing my dad, my Mm -hmm. father-in-law. I want that to be something that changes me, that I carry with me in a way that helps me become a better version of who I want to become. Love that. Perfect. I, I feel like that's the thing that I keep hearing again and again is these times of adversity, whether it be through grief or, um, you know, another kind of tragedy, whatever, whatever it is that it's not something you would ever wish for or ask for. Like, please send me this adversity so that I can be stronger. But that that's what happens, you know, that it just changes you in ways you would never necessarily want, but that are beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Tell me about um, your faith process through all of this. I know you have a strong faith. How, how did that show up through all of these life experiences? Man, I, I'm just growing my faith, right? I feel like, or I'm learning to be grown in my faith. Mm-hmm. That's probably how I should say it. Um, for me, one of the most humbling things is that I don't, I physically cannot comprehend walking through this without the faith that I have, that I'm going to see my dad again, um, that I'm going to be able to get through another day. Um, those things keep me going, um, that I have already been given everything I need to get through today. Um, I just don't need what I don't need until I get to where I need it, you know? Yes. And so, uh, I, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that I, I believe in an afterlife. I believe in heaven. And for me, knowing that I don't have control or, or learning that I don't have control, even though I want it, mm-hmm. uh, has been really, really powerful for me in enjoying life, I guess, maybe. Um, I, I've shared this before, I think, with people, but when I had my son, then my oldest son, um, I faith has always been something that's easy to me. Like, I, I faith has been easy, but belief has been hard, if that makes sense. And so I, we shared really, really early that we were pregnant and people were like, oh my gosh, I think that's really early to be sharing. Like, you don't know if it's going to be a viable pregnancy. And, and I kept thinking like, but I'm pregnant right now. Like right now, scientifically, we know that I'm pregnant right now. And so being in this moment, I'm going to acknowledge that. And I think I started like letting those voices get to me and me asking myself, Am I the crazy one here because I'm sharing this and I'm being excited and I'm celebrating mm-hmm. because regardless of the outcome of this pregnancy, I am pregnant right now. Mm-hmm. And I had a dream where there was, um, it was like my hand and then a very big hand came over my hand and it kind of pried each one of my fingers open. And as my hand opened in the palm of my hand, there was a rosebud and it was very closed and very mushed. And as each finger was pried open, 
the, the rose bud would start to bloom and open up just a little bit. And this voice in my dream said to me, you can either hold this so tight that you suffocate it and you never experience the beauty, or you can open your hand and trust that I have it and trust that I placed it there and that I will keep it there for as long as it's intended to be there. And for me, that has, is a representation of my faith journey, um, that I have to make a choice to believe that there is something greater than me that understands bigger than I understand and knows best and loves me. Um, and I don't understand all those things. I think one of the things I shared with you in our last conversation was just, you know, when my dad passed away, I really struggled with how if heaven is what I read about in the Bible and there's no pain there and it is, it's the absence of all pain. How is it that a daddy who loved me so much that I know loved me so much that I'm hurting as bad as I am and he doesn't feel any pain being separated from me. Those questions keep me going. Uh, I don't understand that. I don't, I don't know exactly how that works. And I don't think I'm intended to understand exactly how that works. I believe that I'm supposed to keep seeking and learning. And that's where I am in my faith journey is just um, letting go of things that have hurt me, letting go of things that I have learned to be less true and more about um, more about preserving and less about faith. And I keep being called toward um, step into the unknown, step into the thing that you don't understand and just trust that the God who created all of this sees it, knows it, understands it, and will reveal it to you as you continue seeking it out. Can you be my church? I would like to just listen to you talk. I think that that would be great. No. No. <laughs> anybody does. And that's what the people that can admit that they really don't know are the people I want to listen to. Um, the thing that, one of the things I was curious about from you is I know you have shared that you grew up in a very rigid, strict faith community. Um, how does that translate to how you are teaching your kids about faith and God and messy? Yeah. Okay. That's comforting. Same. (laughs) Messy. Uh, I, you know, I grew up uh, in a really black and white world where there was wrong and right, and there was not a lot of margin between that. And something in my soul didn't resonate with that because I am pretty in touch with how, how imperfect I am. And so it's like there was this striving to do things the right way and then a constant messing up in that. And somehow along that journey, I met Grace. And when I met Grace, I met what I believe is Jesus and that he gives this gift of grace to me that I don't deserve, but he gives it to me out of a deep, deep love for me. And so in taking that lesson and what I have experienced to be very, very true in my faith journey and the more that I learn about God and the more that I see just what a tiny, tiny piece of this really, really big picture. Um, somebody said uh, in an interview I did for my podcast how, like, we're looking at the back side of the tapestry, and we think, this is not beautiful. And yet when we get to see the front side of it, we see, oh, my goodness, all those tied-off things that don't match, that overlay one another in the front become something really beautiful. I 
think that's what I'm learning in my faith journey is that uh, it's a lot less about a lot less about how everyone else is responding and how everyone else is doing, and it's a lot more about my heart. And as I raise my kids, I want to teach them healthy boundaries. I want to teach them truth, um, but I often want them to understand that they that the God that that I know. And that I hope that they come to know is a God who's way bigger and has a way bigger understanding than what what I can teach them. And so I can't teach them to have faith and to believe in something that's far greater than they are if I don't actually allow that to be true in their life. Mm-hmm. And I want to protect them from everything and I want it to be measured and I want them to be within these rules and guidelines and success and failure and all of that. Yes. That is very encouraging to me. Thank you. I appreciate that. Because it's well, it is, it's hard. Need that reminder. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll pass it's it hard. back. It's hard because it's like something that I value and that's very important to me. And when you feel like you're not doing it as well as you might like to, it, it can feel but I'm gonna remember the tapestry image and just kind of know that it is bigger than me, you know, and that if it wasn't, then would it even be worth talking about, you know? Yeah. Um I've uh, Rocky Garza said, you're all, how do you say this? It's like, you're all uniquely, uniquely unique and absolutely uh, normal. But mm-hmm. kind of like, we're all these precious things and the exact same as everybody else. Yeah. And I, I think that that's the thing I want my kids to know uh, about God is that he created them unique in his image, just precious and he also created their brother the same way and their sister and their neighbor and their school friends and their teacher and their mama and their daddy and the people that they don't know and the homeless man and the people across the globe that each one of us you know we don't get to control what life we're born into and we all face different struggles but I think each one of those struggles are refining us and bringing us towards something that is on the other side of this life Great. I love that. You're a wise woman. Um, is there anything that I have not asked you about that you are hoping to share with me? I don't think so. I'm so thankful for this space that you're creating. I, I, I'm just, I love getting the opportunity to get an insight into other people's world. I mean, growing up in a black and white world, um, it is, it is the bravery and the courage and the vulnerability and transparency of people different than I sharing their story that has helped me understand a bigger picture of God. And I'm really, really, really grateful for that. And I think you're creating that in your platform and with your wisdom and with your experience. And um, I'm really thankful for that. Thank you. I love talking I to you. More, Sorry, go ahead. One more thing I sure. want to say. I, I want to just encourage that, you know, I, in becoming a mom to girls, I feel like I am doing more in this season in my career and in um, just answering a call that I called on my life. And I am stepping out of things that make me feel comfortable and successful. Like, I was trying to tell my husband this last night, like, my podcast episode was airing today and I didn't know how to do something. And, and I just looked at him and I said, it's not that I feel super uber successful in motherhood, but like I can get laundry done. I can get people to school on time. We fight, we argue, we have struggles, but like the doing of all of it, I can do that. There's a lot of emotional messy in there that I struggle with, 
but the doing of what I'm doing right now feels really messy. Like I don't get it. And I'm learning in that to, to keep going after it, keep doing the thing that you may not be as successful as you think that you are because there's such a lesson in that for yourself mm -hmm. and for the people around you. And I'm learning as a mom to keep encouraging my kids towards things that are really hard um, that they're passionate about. I love that. I am. Um, I, this is kind of the flip side of that in some ways, but I read this book a long time ago, a long time ago called um, Reviving Ophelia by this um, psychologist, Mary Pfeiffer. And I didn't realize she had written subsequent books. Well, it turns out she became like famous from writing this book. And I was, I was a teenager, so I didn't really, and there was no internet, you know, the whole thing. And so I didn't know she had done other things, but this book I'm reading now is talking about, um, how that really was disruptive to her, you know, becoming super successful and considered the expert. And I think sometimes we all struggle with like, oh, I don't really know what I'm talking about. And, and it's interesting to hear her perspective about being sort of revered as this expert on something and who has it all together and how, 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 ugh, how hard that is also, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's interesting how we, we, uh, we struggle on both ends as yeah, I so fumble with my words. A little. What is your self-care for taking care of yourself while you take care of this family and grow your podcast oh, and run your home? Sleep, sleep. 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 Yes, mm -hmm. that's yes. a good one. I, I went to bed last night um, later than normal, and I let myself get up a little bit later than normal, and there are things that fell by the wayside um, because of that. But sleep is what I'm learning is a necessity in my body and in my brain and helps me that it's okay to give myself that gift. Yes. Um, and then I'm not going to get everything done all of the time. I love that. And isn't it such a mental shift when you kind of allow yourself to settle into that? It's, it feels good. It makes me wonder why I fought it for so long. Yeah. 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 Well, you are awesome. I have loved talking to you. I could um, do this conversation many more times and hope, hopefully we will. Let's do it. Let's I, do it. I love talking to you. I'm so excited for this new friendship that we're building and just appreciate the space that you are creating in the world. And just, um, thank you for inviting me to be here today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the family brain. Isn't Taylor just the best? She just has such great insight and I am very impressed with her wisdom and just the truth that she had to share. If you get a chance, please leave a review on iTunes. It would be great. It helps people find the podcast and puts word out there that this is something that's available. You can also follow us on Instagram, Family Brain Podcast, or join the Facebook group, which is The Family Brain. Thanks for listening.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.